With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast. And here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hello, friends. Ed McGrogan with Steve Tigner here on Masters Week, of course, but also uh, tennis here, as always, tennis.com podcast. And, uh, and Steve, it was a very strong month of March, I thought, um, on both tours. I, I thought we, I don't think you could ask for a whole lot more from the month, you know, the month of tennis. The other thing, I think specifically to Miami, which we're going to be talking about more today. Typically, typically, I, f- I feel like Indian Wells has grown, has has leaped ahead of it. Certainly, I don't think too many people would dispute that. But you you tend to have that hangover um, that kind of lingers into Miami sometimes. That was not the case this year. Indian Wells was remembered for that quarter of death on, on the men's side, but you end up getting, you know, what is potentially what is probably going to end up being one of the three best matches of the year in, in Federer and Kyrgios. You ended up with another Federer Nadal final. Um, on the women's side, you get a new champion uh, in Johanna Kanta. Um, just, a, a, I think, a very satisfying month that uh, leaves us uh, perhaps wanting a little bit even of more hardcore tennis as we move over to clay. Yeah, it's <clears throat> sort of the reverse this year. In the past, the men's at Indian Wells has been the big event and the women's was not so not so big because Serena and Venus weren't there this time it was the opposite the men's the men's was the big event in Miami and the women's there was no Serena Venus made the semis which was a good run and it was a good it was a good tournament for the women but without Serena and then with Federer and Nadal making the final Federer Kyrgios match making a lot of noise you know it was a big big tournament um for Miami, I remember a few years ago thinking Federer and Rafa, as of like 2013 to 2014, wondering whether they would ever play that tournament again because it just didn't fit, seem to fit so well in the schedule after Indian Wells, before Clay. Federer hadn't played it since 2014, hadn't made the semis since 2009. Um, you know, Rafa's played it but hadn't done much in the past couple of years. So just, you know, you can see the power of those two guys and, and the and of Kyrgios coming up, um, you know, you really felt like the men's draw and the men's game right now is is pretty strong. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was going to start with Roger and Rafa, of course, but but Kyrgios might be, you know, somewhat more suitable given that what you just said about the men's game there. It it does seem like in regards to Kyrgios, it's just been a sea change from really not that long ago, kind of, um, you know, kind of expecting him. You know, his we weren't sure where really he was going. Maybe we were. Maybe people did seem sure it didn't. It was going in a poor direction for Curious, but you know, clearly, I I I think you get the sense that 
um, that this year he he's he just he certainly feels different when you're watching him on court, and that's not to to say that his his style or his or his demeanor has really changed all that much. Now, there's a bit of a caveat there in that we're seeing Kyrios playing marquee level matches, you know, practically matches of the, of the, of the tournament and um and we're we're getting kind of the performance that you might expect and and you know his his 766776 seven, loss to Federer um you know you just you saw just everything that you got out of him and his wins over Djokovic earlier this year um it seems to be just embracing it a lot a lot more and you know I even loved I didn't think there was any issue or anything wrong with kind of his just blow up at the end after Federer. I mean, this, this match was, it, it, you know, from, from start to finish, um, was just, you really could see either guy winning at about 20 different occasions. Yeah. I feel like it's changed for him since the Australian open. There was some talk about how, uh, you know, Rod Laver criticized him and said that it's basically, it was time to give up on him or just not worry about him so much, uh, you know, he wasn't showing that much, showing much effort, and that that affected Kyrgios. You know, I don't know, but he hasn't he hasn't thrown in. Uh, you know, he hasn't shown any disinterest in these at least these last three tournaments. Like you said, he's played he played Djokovic in Acapulco, Djokovic in Indian Wells, and now Federer in Miami. So he's had those are matches he's going to get up for, but he hasn't he hasn't sort of thrown away the other matches either since then. Um, and I think you can see now, like for the first time, really, I think you can just say it would be a surprise if he doesn't go on to win slams and, and get into the top five just from from what he can do when when he's fully involved, um, that he can just he can beat these guys and you can expect him to beat these guys. Um, it's almost so that, like it's almost wondering, asking the question, that, I mean, does this guy actually have you know, forget a guy like Isner. Does he actually have the best serve on tour right now? I mean, it's practically been unbreakable at the, at, you know, and against guy against the best returners in the world too. At yeah, that. as far as you know, pace and putting it where he wants and just having that sort of that shot in his back pocket and let it, you know, that allows him to to kind of let it rip uh, other places and play more loosely. That you know, because he has that shot, you can see that against Federer, he really kept himself. You know he played well the, in in all ways in that match, but he really kept himself in it with his with his serve. Uh, and Federer had been re, has been returning well, so he, and he also did it against Djokovic. So there's really nothing stopping him using that serve uh, to you know to go as pretty much as far as he wants. And and I like the point about you know turning the corner on, on Kyrgios and, and I think rightfully saying that it would be pretty disappointing if. Um, if if it would be you know maybe this point is wrong or surprising certainly if if uh, if he does not end up winning a slam things of that sort I mean I think I think between what we've seen from um, from Federer and from Kyrgios this year I think I think Wimbledon is turning into kind of a more of a must see than even than even usual given um, you know the renaissance and really the emergence of these two guys here and um, and you know it was I thought it was. Great to see that the you know the Indian Wells match that wasn't you know that we got in Miami it didn't you know there was no it was it was worth the wait I would say in many ways and you know as for Federer and Nadal it was 
you know, maybe worth the wait in star power, but it really did not. Uh, this is now two in a row since a very compelling Australian Open final um, that Rafa has been the one unable to, um, you know, unable to take command of these matches, really. It's not to say he didn't have chances in the match, but, um, but you know, in both of these, of course, best of three sets. And honestly, for, you know, first time that I can remember in watching practically all of these matches over the course of the last 10 or 12 years, um, it was as if Rafa, when he was unable to ca- to capitalize on his early chances, that I really actually didn't feel like Federer would, had ever um, had really was was threatened too much um, after that point in the match, and uh, and that's you know the narrative, of course, that we've kind of heard is it's the the dynamic between these two has just really flipped on its head, and and you're seeing you know. It's it's really Roger at the moment with some some changes in, and I think not only just his shots, uh, but just his attitude in general against Nadal. Um, you know, it's made the discussion of these two. It's gonna it's gonna tack on another very interesting chapter when we look back at this rivalry when it's all said and done of this this late career, um, just turnaround by Roger. Yeah. Um... Just one more thing about Kyrgios. Um, I, I agree that that um, I didn't mind the the ragged smashing or or um, whatever else he did in the Federer match that that annoyed people or, or was ever else was overdone. If he told the crowd to shut up, I didn't mind that as much because it it was showed that he cared. It was you know these are things you get from effort rather than not effort, non effort, which is what he was you know he, which is what he's been criticized for in the past. And I also didn't think. There was criticism of the crowd, and it was it was definitely pro Federer, and maybe maybe it went over the line in some ways, and the people yelled out. But I didn't feel like I don't feel like you can you can say I think we want crowd tennis crowds to be that way, and and just like any other sport, that it was a partisan crowd. They wanted one player, one athlete, one side to win. Um, I don't think there's any nothing in tennis really that we should say. You know the we should say that that shouldn't happen. There's you know? yeah, there's no obligation on the fans to to keep it drawn the line down in the middle. It, it I think Kyrgios understood that. He said afterward that he, and as Djokovic has said before in the same situations, that Federer's going to he's they know what's going to happen and they know why and that if they win and continue, the, you know, their goal is to become that person who's who's the you know the the fan favorite. But yeah, for not for Nadal and. Better, yeah, it has really flipped around. I feel like, um, like I wrote on Monday, that that it's Federer who's been who's kind of freed up by the fact that he, you know, he, the way he's been playing, the way he's been hitting his backhand, the vulnerabilities that he had against Nadal are gone, and he just seems to be playing the way he played against everyone else, which was never true against Rafa. He would just even shots that weren't particularly difficult, Federer would miss, and you know, those were shots that he made against other players for no other reason than that Rafa was on the other side of the net. He had, it didn't necessarily have anything to do with Rafa, what Rafa had done. It was just the mental aspect. You don't see that from Federer anymore. And whereas with Rafa now, you see him hesitating. You see him switching tactics rather than the one tactic he used to, he, he used to always be able to rely on into Federer's backhand. Now he's trying to figure out one-two punches. Um, he's got to go to Federer's forehand, which 
which didn't work. It only ended up grooving Federer's forehand. I think Rafa started out well in that match and played in the first set was good. Um, he could have won that set. And so in that sense, the fact that he was in it is mentally uh, is a positive. But, but right now, Federer is just, um, I feel like even then, even though that was true, Nadal only got two more games. So Federer is, you know, he's, he's out in front. Yeah, I mean, uh, Rafa with a, a very strange mark now of 0-5 in Miami Finals. Um, all the members of the uh, men's Big Four actually have some sort of uh, Masters tournament they just haven't been able to solve. And, and you know, clearly with Nadal, that's, uh, that's Miami here. And, you know, and for Federer, um, I sort of put it out there that, you know, what we're seeing this year from him, I think, has been, you know, speaking of fandom and tennis, I think I think this is kind of the 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 reward for really, you know, the many many Federer diehards out there that have kind of really held on, um, held on seemingly uh, seemingly against hope as we as many many wrote uh, over the past few years, you know, kind of. It just did not seem like Federer at this age and against the kind of baseline excellence that Nadal, um, Murray, and Djokovic had, had put up as resistance over the past few years. It didn't. It just did not seem like there was that place. Um, and, you know, certainly in the Roger Rafa dynamic, I mean, it didn't get, it, it, it was, it had only gotten more lopsided really in that rivalry. It was 23 to 10. Um, coming into this year and I sort of feel you know as I said about putting out a new chapter when you when you consider where these two are going to end up um, Federer has that you know he has those 18 Grand Slam titles and this was you know this is the big argument um, against him but you know these wins over Nadal on you know on hard courts um, with a five-year age difference I mean when we break down the numbers and you know look back and and you just did a, a pretty big story on Chris Everett and and Ra- and Nadal about their prowess on clay and who's the you know who's the presumptive greatest of all time on that surface i mean these head to head wins over Nadal i think have such value in that sort of you know mythic discussion of these two and um just still hard to wrap your head around quite honestly in my opinion mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. so Let's you know. Let's with that said, um, I want to pay attention to to Miami's um, finalists on the women's side as well as uh, kind of where they are now. That that's as you mentioned, Kanta um, playing Carolyn Wozniacki. Um, Kanta, you know, we we kind of kind of were waiting for perhaps that um, you know that breakthrough in the form of a title, it, it's hard to break through it at the majors, no matter what, no matter who it is. Um, you know, these are, it's a different class of event. It's always going to be that way. Conta has had some significant runs at the slams. Um, you can, you can kind of say this for, for any number of players uh, on both tours actually is that, um, you know, for all of the kind of the deep runs, you know, the, the, the second week appearances, it's, you really do at a certain point want to see a title of significance one otherwise. And there's plenty of opportunities to do that besides the four majors. And um, for Conta winning one at Miami, um, you know, one of the 
three or four most significant tournaments short of the majors. Um, kind of a validation of really about a three-year, um, you know, climb up the rankings and now up to number seven, actually. Yeah, two years ago, she couldn't even qualify for Miami. Now she's number seven and she won the tournament. Um, I think, yeah, like you said, a tournament like this is, takes her to another level. This is the first time I've heard anybody really say afterwards, real consistent talk about her winning a slam. I thought she was might have been the second best player at the Australian Open to Serena. She was playing great tennis, and then she ran into Serena, and that that was there was definitely a ceiling there. I think, I think with Kanta, you and you look at her compared to somebody like Pliskova. I think Kanta is probably the steadier player who will who will reach more semifinals, quarterfinals of Slams. You probably won't be as prone to an early round upset. But I don't know about her head-to-head against somebody like Serena or, you know, we'll see when Azarenka and Sharapova come back against those players. Um, I, I sort of like Pliskova in those matches better, but Kanta, Kanta, not to be, Kanta to put herself in contention consistently, I like her better. And I think, you know, I, there's definitely no reason she can't win a slam. I, I don't know if she can beat Serena at a slam. She might need somebody else to do that. She'll get some pretty... Um pretty strong billing at Wimbledon that's for sure at uh you know with this seating and, and with you know this stature you'll um see a bit more of her touted over there as usual um as it goes with uh with the British um players of course um I mean for for Wozniacki you know again you, you, we just kind of look back at you know to, to me both of these two really not only represent um kind of really a kind of stylistically have some you know some shared qualities but but really it's it's just thinking back um Wozniacki you know had, it took a pretty big fall in the rankings not that long ago um but I, I but over the last you know 12 months um you know has has really kind of uh shown sort of a a, a second a second life of a career here and um you know continues to um you know, show those. I, I just think showing the not only in the in the point to point and uh, game to ma- game the game ability to kind of not be denied without a really significant uh, thrust from the other side. It's uh, it's her, you know, continuing to hold firm on a spot uh, a spot that in the rankings in the game that is not a player that too many want to see on the opposite side at a slam at any event, really, no matter what she's really always demonstrated the willingness and the desire just to, just to grind it out, just to, to, you know, kind of go as long as necessary. And I think that, you know, speaks to what Kanta was able to do this week, but uh, you know, also this is a really strong showing for Wozniacki too. Yeah. Three finals this year. I definitely wouldn't have expected that last summer she was out of the top 50. I think there were talk, there was talk about that. She might announce that she was going to retire. She's working with Serena's old hitting partner, Sasha, and that seems to have helped maybe a a different voice, but also somebody who's a voice who's not really challenging uh, her father, who's still in, the coaching position as always. Um, I think, yeah, she's, she's played with just a little, you know, a little bit more aggression, a little bit more variety. She has more shots than maybe people think. I feel like I've seen more of that from her. And she, she definitely, like you said, has never lost that 
number one player's attitude, even though even when she's dropped and taken a lot of losses and hasn't really contended for many slams in the last year, she still, when she goes out there, she really doesn't, she really, I think, expects to beat anybody and is always acts, seems to act surprised when somebody, when somebody comes out and, and, and beats her and can, and is able to, you know, she, I feel like she's thinks she, she should be able to outlast anybody, be more consistent than anybody. And she, she's never lost that belief and that's helped her a lot. The one thing I would say going forward, she's already played 30 matches this year. We've always talked about her playing too much or not really trying to peak for the slam, just playing every week. And that's the way she's always been. She doesn't seem like that's ever going to change. I just wonder whether that's going to come to having its effect during the clay season, which isn't really her, her favorite surface. Um, you know, maybe, Maybe we see her take a step back now. Well, she moves right on to Charleston this week. Speaking of clay, um, I do love that, you know, sort of once you've become a number one, you never really leave number one in in the mentality portion of things with Wozniacki. And I, I mean, that's, I sort of think it's justified in a way. I mean, if, if you're able to, to scale those heights of the game, it's, I think, I think that's an attitude maybe you should have and maybe some former number ones have not had. Um, and Wozniacki still really, you know, chipping away at the sheet. You know, as I said, she goes to Charleston this week. Conta was uh, scheduled to play, ended up withdrawing before her uh, opening rounder with um, the shoulder um, ailment. It was, it was reported. Um, Charleston uh, will be covered wall to wall um full disclosure obviously uh, tennis channel and uh tennis.com you know, now involve quite um quite directly together i think uh it'll only lead to some pretty um exciting sort of ventures between the two uh, as well as tennis magazine but you know as 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 we saw last year with um with the dc event actually in um on the WTA where tennis channel came, um, and, you know, cover that event start to finish. That's actually the, um, the approach they're taking with Charleston. I think it's, um, you know, to see that from beginning to end, um, you know, to kind of, I think, I think it speaks, you know, to, to one thing that is, is helpful when it comes to the smaller events on all the, you know, across the tours, no matter, no matter where they are, is that we're we're often uh, left with really just the you know the quarterfinals and beyond of a lot of these a lot of the 250 level on the ATP and the lower premier level on the WTA, and you don't really get a sense of kind of the you know the beginning the early rounds of some of these events. I mean, they they can be very captivating um, as we see in the majors, but to kind of have that sort of sense of the the traveling tour and and the worldwide sort of uh you know you know circus of it if you will um that's i think what this will show uh for charleston here and this you know it's a it's a it's a very long-standing event um 35 it's actually just over 35 years now it was always known as the family circle cup um, and now recently the Volvo car opened. So I, uh, certainly suggest, um, that you check that out on tennis channel throughout the week. Um, one thing I wanted to say about green clay too, actually, is I, I thought that, um, you know, with all the talk of, of Miami, I want to just tie it back to that. 
about the future of the tournament. It was it was not hidden during a lot of um, press conferences, even Roger Federer's winner's speech, that the future of this tournament is is, is uncertain. It's kind of varied, um, you know, from sort of report to report, from year to year. You know, is this event going to leave, um, you know, Miami, Florida, the United States in general? This is sort of the tone we heard with Indian Wells years ago before it, um, you know, before it was purchased by Larry Ellison. Um, but Miami is sort of in it, in kind of a, you know, a bit of a limbo itself. It's, it's confirmed to be in Key Biscayne next year. I, I wonder if, um, you know, I've always kind of maintained that, that, that Miami is the spot to kind of actually move into, um, to clay itself, you know, go green clay on that event. Florida has a huge history of, um, green clay. You kind of mark Indian Wells as the end of that hardcore point and move, you know, to sort of something different. I think that whatever Miami does, you know, I think it's a, it's a great time to kind of rebrand, if you will. I think it could use it. Um, and I thought, uh, now, I just just a thought with with whatever ends up happening to Key Biscayne here. Um, I, I I certainly think that uh, we all hope it's you know stays in Florida, but um, you know besides that, I, don't, I think it's kind of up in the air still. Yeah, the green clay is a, it would make sense as a transition from Indian Wells hard courts opening part of the year hard courts into into um, European red clay. It's also in Florida, which has a which there's a lot of hard true courts there and has the has the Latin American element, the clay element. Um, and I think you know, Key Biscayne, they wanna they want to expand there. They want to they don't want to feel overwhelmed, I guess, by all the changes and and improvements that that Ellison makes in Indian Wells. They want to try to keep pace with that. But they can't really do it in Crandon Park. Um, I think Wherever it ends up, I do think green clay would be a way to differentiate themselves from Indian Wells, so there no, so it doesn't feel like just the same tournament on a sort of smaller level, which is what we had thought it was, you know, which is what it has sort of seemed to have become in the last few years. But I think also this year shows that that um, really all you need are the players, right? Like if you have if you have Federer and Nadal in the final, if you have a great match with Kyrgios, if he brings you have Venus getting to the semis. You have, um, you could have Serena come back again. If you have those people, that's what um, you know. That's what makes the tournament f- at least feel bigger. Maybe who knows what the, what that means financially for the tournament. But but Miami, you know, it made a comeback this year just in that just in that the player the, the you know the the big names were there. So maybe that's a good way to um, to bring it into Davis Cup because you know this is an this is a competition where it's all about the players in the end too. Uh, it's about the fans. It's about the nations, of course. You, that that adds a a dynamic that's kind of unlike really anywhere else in the sport. But the um, you know the players. Uh, it has been long been a you know, a blessing and a criticism of, of, of the, uh, of the Davis cup that, you know, we're not seeing those full rosters all the time this year. It's kind of, um, kind of down the middle, I would say. Um, and this weekend you have the quarterfinals of Davis cup. You have, 
You have Serbia and Spain um, on the bottom of the draw with Novak Djokovic in there for Serbia. Rafa not in for Spain. Um, winner of that will take on France or Great Britain. Um, no Murray for Britain. France, you know, France here, it's actually a, a team that's kind of turned over a lot from its um, you know teams that have had Monfils, Sanga, Gasquet. Um, the tentative lineup for this one, Lucas Puy, Simone, um, Mahu and Herbert, that's, you know, the latter two forming uh, one of the best doubles teams in the country, or in the, in the world, excuse me. Top half, um, you have Italy and Belgium, and the winner of that faces either the U.S. or Australia, and um, and Kyrgios is playing that one. Um, it's a pretty pretty good time, actually, pretty, I think, well time for Australia, right after hard courts, Kyrgios, um heading back to Australia, likely anyway. Um, so they get him for a home tie against the U.S. Um, Sock, Isner, Quarry, Johnson, um, the same team that uh, that competed in the last round. This is, a, this is kind of, again, a bit of a, a turnover from the Bryan Brothers era. Um, U.S., you know, probably... this To me, I mean, for, I think, some... Selfish reasons that were in the U.S., but also Kyrgios. Um, I just think the most compelling of these ties, um, because I mean, this is a deep, this is a pretty deep U.S. team. Even what, even after you know losing um, that Brian Brothers Tam, I think that actually adds to their depth quite honestly. And you get you know Kyrgios, um, who will play certainly two singles matches. Um, Sam Groth in there as well. This is held on um, in hard courts um, in Brisbane. Actually, tip you know we've seen Australia uh, lay down grass actually in the past for some of their tests, but they go hard here. Um, so I think this is a pretty a pretty good set of four matches overall. Um, you're going to see you know what does Joke this will be Djokovic's first match since Indian Wells when he lost to Kyrgios. Um, and then, you know, as I said, two other ties as well. It's a, it's a pretty nice uh, weekend of, uh, of men's play here. Yeah. Serbia looks good. They look like they should win that Djokovic and Troitsky are there. And then France looks good against Great Britain without Murray. I think you looking at a semi between France and Serbia and that's a good, that could be a really good tie, uh, provided everybody, everybody can make it there after the U S open. Um, and, or after, Sorry, after Wimbledon. And then um, Australia, U.S., that's a, you know, that's a really good tie. U.S. has a strong team. They went down to Australia last time and beat them. Um, now they're going down there again. They are playing two straight times there because in 1999, for the 100th anniversary of the Davis Cup, the, they switched a U.S.-Australia tie to the U.S. for that. So this is two straight in Australia, but the U.S. went down there and beat them. On grass, maybe that's why they've they've switched over to hard courts. I think Kyrgios is going to need to win two matches in that because I, you know, Sock and Isner are going to be favored in the singles, and I would say probably you know U.S. Australia will be kind of even in the doubles. I think a lot of that's going to come down to Kyrgios. Can he keep it going? Um, so that should be interesting. And then I think the winner of that you you know should, will be favored to make the final. So you know, like you said, there's there's, there's definitely opportunity here. And by the way, a, a nice uh, stat I saw for Jack Sock, who, um, you know, looking back on March, he, I think, comes away as one of the winners of that month, actually. He 
made the, I believe it's made the quarter, first American since Agassiz to make the quarters in four consecutive Masters events. So you go back to Paris and uh, Shanghai, I believe, um, since Agassiz many, many years ago. Um, Sock overall, nice, you know, very nice start to the year and really has has not taken many poor losses. and I wonder if this is another, you know, just another speaking of opportunity, kind of just another way to really not, you know, not only tangibly, but kind of symbol, you know, sort of mentally, but also proving it on the court, establishing himself really as the guy in an American sort of men's mantle that's been tossed around for many, many years. But it does seem like if anybody is kind of ready to assume that role and, um, and, and sort of run with it for a good, you know, couple year stretch before perhaps maybe this younger crop of Americans kind of has their say. It could be Sock. Yeah, I think Sock is Davis Cup has has been a big part of Sock's improvement. He's he's committed to it. It brings him together with the with the U.S. other U.S. players with with Jim Courier. I think it's you know I think it there's he's definitely completely into those matches and serious about those matches. I feel like his success and his commitment to that is, you know, I think it's rubbed off on him in, in on the tour in general. You know, it definitely gives him a a focus of something, even if he doesn't feel like he can win a slam. Now, I think I feel like the Americans do think that they can win the Davis Cup. And you have to think, actually, you know, looking back on Pat, recent Davis Cup champions, and kind of the. Um, impact sort of or really the meaning it's had to a lot of players you you go you start with Djokovic back before he really became the guy that we know now um you have uh you have Murray with Britain breaking sort of a a a title drought that really you would have never expected considering Britain's tradition lack of depth you had Del Potro finally winning it with with Argentina last year um you had Federer winning it with Switzerland. I mean, it's now been 10 years since the U.S. won a Davis Cup. And you wonder maybe if this is kind of potentially with, with the way that the draw looks and the way I think that Davis Cup may be one of the more important things to you know to the players on that team, that maybe this is really, you know, if... If it's not going to be a uh, you know a Masters or a Slam, I think there are many worse things you can do than than break you know end a ten year drought in U.S. tennis for and kind of really just sort of to shut some people up about you know the state of the U.S. game. I think it's a pretty important competition for the Americans. Yeah, also with Curios, you know he he's a guy who's been up and down. Obviously with Tennis Australia, with with uh, his home country there, maybe this is this is something where he commits and 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 sort of ends that that animosity or whatever antagonism there there was between them that could be an important part of his career as well right i think it's very well said there yeah so um after the masters after charleston after davis cup we'll be back um next week to discuss it all here on the tennis.com podcast thank you again for listening and we'll be back then thank you you've been enjoying the tennis.com podcast For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.